Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. The Danny Mac Show with BK. Podcast powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. Ultimately, we added two veteran pitchers. Um, obviously, they're looking for a, a fresh start, but you know, I do think those types of guys like Hap and Lester can help stabilize our, our rotation. And then, you know, ultimately getting Flaherty and, and Miles back, I think just the overall depth of arms and the experience will be something that we benefit from. And hopefully we can get going and, and get on a little run. That was uh, John Moselock just moments ago on Carriker and Smallman. Monday edition, Danny Mac show with BK as the Cardinals take two of three over the weekend against the uh, Minnesota Twins. As I said in the crossover, if you are a fan of catching um, in St. Louis, you were treated to a great weekend with the Ted Simmons statue uh, dedication. That was really cool. It was a neat moment. Uh, first statue they have dedicated since 2002. Wow. Which was Ozzie Smith, the last one to do it. Harry Weber, the noted sculptor, did a great job. I mean, he does incredible work down there if you've seen those statues. So uh, he was there. The DeWitts were there. John Moselock. Uh, I had the privilege to emcee it, Ted Simmons and his family and friends. So that was cool. Then yesterday, I never thought I'd say that uh, Yadier Molina has passed Albert Pujols on the all-time Cardinals hits list. He is fourth overall in the history of the St. Louis Cardinals organization, which is amazing. And he passed Albert Pujols yesterday, which was a great moment for the Cardinal catcher. Cardinals take two of three. Trade deadline is come and gone. We can get into that. But uh, a lot of things happening over the weekend. Good morning, BK. Good morning, Dan. It's come a long way since uh, TLR said that Yadier Molina could basically hit zero for his career, <laughs> and he'd still throw him out there every day because of the way that he plays defensively. It's... Uh, remarkable to see the kind of player he has turned into. Jim Edmonds talked about it yesterday during the telecast when Jimmy was in the prime of his career. Yachty's coming up and uh, Dave Ricketts, God rest his soul, who was a longtime uh, member of the Cardinals organization, worked specifically with catchers and other p- players as well. But he said at that time to Walt Jockety and John Moselock, he said, man, we got this guy Molina in our minor league system. He said, I'm telling you right now, He is ready to catch at the major league level. Not ready to hit, but I'm telling you, this guy is unbelievable. Maybe the best I've ever seen. Well, here we are in 2021 after he gets called up in 2004, and he's still, uh, you know, not hitting for a lot of power. It's been a while for his last extra base hit, but a couple of more hits yesterday. He had two on Saturday. He handles a pitching staff. Teams, they can run against him. He's at his, by the way, career average of 40% of throwing out base dealers in 2021. So that has been great. But it's a great milestone for him, and it was a neat moment at the ballpark. It was. It was a cool moment. It was a cool weekend for the Cardinals. They win two out of three once again. And, Dan, this is becoming a trend for the Cards now. If you look at their last, I think it's seven series, they've won or split six of them. So as much as, and I get it, if you're a Cardinals fan today and you've got a little pessimism in your soul, I get it. I really do. I understand it after what was a flurry of a trade deadline weekend. But if we're just going to break down the on-field product and what we're watching over basically since the start of the San Francisco series in the first half, it's been better been pretty solid baseball all around good base running once again this weekend good defense all around the pitching has been 
honestly outstanding for about a month now for the Cardinals. So all things considered, and it's not what you need, but it's about as good as you could ask for. The Cardinals have been playing better baseball lately. Well, you have Lester and Hap. They come in with 35 starts combined and a combined ERA of over six. The team record when those guys have started is 17 and 18. But let's do a little bit deeper dive here. You had uh, Jake Woodford go on Saturday, and Jake Woodford was not uh, very good. Let's just say that. Johan Oviedo gets sent back down to Memphis. I like that. He needs to have a little taste of some success, maybe dominate some guys if he's able to do that. So you put Hap in this rotation. You buy a little time with John Lester. You're hopeful. Flaherty, Michaelis, middle of August. So we're probably two weeks away from those guys returning. They're going to be careful, obviously, with both those guys. Here's something I'm going to throw at you, BK. All right. Let's just talk about the schedule. Let's try to be a little positive here if we Before can. Before we do that, can I add on yeah. to why I actually have a little more confidence in Lester and Hap that I think the vast majority of Cardinals fans do right now? So I looked into this last night. Gant, Oviedo, Woodford. That's kind of the spot that these guys are going to be sure. in in the rotation. Those three combined for a 14% walk rate this year. 14. J.A. Hap or J. Hap and John Lester combined for a seven. Mm -hmm. You literally cut your walks in half with these guys in your rotation. Now, if you look at what we've seen from Wade LeBlanc, Dan, Wade LeBlanc stunk prior to coming in terms of the production prior to coming to the Cardinals as well. But you get him with a Hall of Fame catcher. You get him with one of the best defenses behind him in all of baseball. And suddenly things look a little better because he's throwing strikes. I think you're going to see something similar from Hap Wouldn't and Lester. Yep. I think you're going to see those 5.0 ERA for Lester and the 6.8 ERA for Hap. I bet you that gets into the mid fours because of the defense that's behind them now. So this month, after yesterday, 26 games uh, left on the schedule for the month of August, where, by the way, since uh, 2011, the Cardinals have the second best winning percentage in the month of August behind the Dodgers. So we'll see if there's something to that. They played well with Mike Schilt in the uh, second half of seasons. Five games are against teams above 500. Milwaukee, Cincinnati, two teams that uh, you're chasing. Ten of the 26 games are against the Pirates. The Pirates just uh, traded away Frazier, an effective starter in Anderson. They traded away their closer, Rodriguez. We'll see him tomorrow night. He's now with the Atlanta Braves. Six of the 26 are against the Royals. Just traded away Jorge Soler, by the way, now a Brave. Danny Duffy goes to the Dodgers. So two longtime members of their team and good against St. Louis, by the way. Both guys are gone. This is a chance to maybe have a little fun. You know what? You, you give Hap and uh, Lester a little lifeline, a little carrot to go for and say, hey, just go out and have fun. You know what? We got we, all bets are off. You know what I mean? We're chasing everybody. We The schedule lines up to where we can have a little success, and maybe they make this thing interesting by the end of the month. And that's, if you're a fan, I think one of the ways that you have to look at this. And to your point, BK, the pitching, take away the month of June, the pitching and, and the way the team has played has been okay. Yeah. It's been fine. You'd be in this thing. The problem is they dug themselves such a big hole. June was terrible. Like, and and we, we can acknowledge that while also stating that what we've been watching over the last month is different. It is not the same baseball team. Now, the offense has to be better. It does. In in the last month, I looked this up last night, they've given up like 88 runs, but they've also scored only 88 runs. So That's they got to do better offensively, and we all acknowledge that. But I think the pitching's going to be fine. Your base running was outstanding over the weekend, and that's got to be a part of what you're going to be able to do moving forward. 
This Brave series, Dan, this is the one that feels kind of big to me because you're going up against some terrible teams here moving forward. This is a little bit of a measuring stick game or measuring stick series for me for the Cardinals because they're a peer program for you, or at least they should right be. around 500. Now, I'll say this, though. It's a different-looking Atlanta team, minus Acuna, mm-hmm. no Marcelo Zuna, but they have revamped their team. I mean, you look at what they did. They got Duvall. They got Jock Peterson. They went out and got Jorge Soler. So different team. With And these teams kind of mirror each other in this way. 100%. You know, the relief pitching has been awful at times. Their starters have been hit and miss. Uh, by the way, if you love lefty starters, you're going to get a plenty of those in this series. There's the possibility of six starting pitchers in three games. Five of the six combined are lefties. The Cardinals will go with Lester tomorrow, Happ in game two, LeBlanc in game three. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. I'm, I'm, I, I want to see how, how the Cardinals play this series and if they can get a little momentum coming out of it, too. And they've got to because you're, you've won some series lately. But the problem is when they came into. So July 4th is kind of the delineation for this Cardinals team in terms of when things started to go back on track on July 4th. They were, I believe it's 10 games back of the Brewers. Today, they're nine and a half games back. Brewers are playing. Brewers. I mean, they, they just find ways, don't they? And that's the problem. As much as the Cardinals have been better of late, I think this is why earlier today on Carriker and Smallman, you heard John Mosellock say, you know, listen, in a best case scenario, we're probably playing in a one game playoff in the wilds card. And that's that's kind of what we're we're tracking for now. And we hope that Jack Flaherty's on the mound. We feel good about our chances in that scenario. That's probably why, because it, it's feeling very difficult for this team to be able to catch up with the Brewers, barring the Cardinals going like 10 and three against them down the stretch head to head. It also showed me that John Mosellock was sick of seeing people not throw strikes to your point. hundred percent. You know, John Gant goes to uh, Minnesota. Um, and I, I think a way to look at this is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Gant would have been a third year arbitration guy. Yep. You're probably not going to pick that up. And you look at Lane Thomas, uh, you gave him a lot of shots, and he just needs to change his scenery. And he's it, you figured something out here with your three outfielders, and he's not going to be your fourth outfielder going forward. He hasn't proven to be that way. So that's why you do that. Because I, I, I look at him as maybe potentially getting DFA'd, so you might as well get something for him. And if he goes on and, and does well with Washington, would it surprise me? Probably well, no. not. But it wasn't going to happen here. They gave him a lot of shots. It just didn't work. A change of scenery is sometimes what needs to happen for a player to be able to catch on. And I think that maybe that's the kick in the pants, whatever you will, for Lane Thomas. And I hope it is. I hope he goes on to have a successful career. We've seen it here in St. Louis. When he first came up, he was gangbusters. He was one of the the guys that the Cardinals felt losing him in 2019 was a big blow to the team. But we haven't really seen it since then. Since that injury that held him back in 2019, he has not been the same player, and he never regained that form. And it was very clear. I agree with you, Dan. I don't think he had a future here in St. Louis. So if what you're able to get for him is some quality innings that allow your team to compete this year and that allow Jake Woodford and Johan Oviedo to go down to AAA, get a little more seasoning, hopefully they're better for 2022, I think it's worth it. And I also agree with you on John Gant. 
I don't think he had a spot on this team moving forward. I think he was about to make three to five million dollars next year. I don't think the Cardinals were going to be a willing or able to pick that up going into next season. And I think they were sick of watching him walk a bunch of dudes. Yes. So instead, you go out there and you get somebody that throws strikes that can give you innings. They were throwing John Gant in blowouts anyways. So now you've got a guy that comes in and can throw significant innings for you that are still high leverage. It made sense to me, and I was kind of surprised by the backlash, honestly. So uh, looking at the Braves, they'll be in here tomorrow night. Uh, Really kind of an interesting year where they've gone back and forth. I'm not sure they have been above 500 this year. I don't think they have, at least as of like a week ago. They had not been above 500. The last two weeks, they either win one, lose one, win one, lose one. For the last two weeks, back and forth. It's an inconsistent offense, um, so we'll see them tomorrow. In the month of June. The Cardinals starter uh, ERA was near six. The bullpen ERA was about three and a half. In the month of July, the starting ERA is three and a half. That's a difference. And they're uh, averaging about a run better per game offensively. It's just everything came together in June, man, where they just did not have anything clicking. I mean, you might get one good start. Offense didn't hit. Offense hits. No starting pitching, no relief pitching. It was just one of those odd years that they uh, they had. I wonder how months. much. I wonder how much changes of these deals that they made on Friday, if they were available, and I'm not sure they were. I would guess that the deal, especially with the Nationals, was not available for no John chance. Lester. Remember, they were playing well. Yeah, if they were available on June 4th instead of July 30th. I think this year looks a lot different for the Cardinals because I think you insert those guys into the rotation. It stabilizes things a bit. I'm not saying they go on a run in June. I also don't think they go on the losing streaks the way that they did. The uh, 314 says you're only about five out in the loss column in the wild card race. uh, Third of the season still to go. Nowhere near insurmountable. I I happen to agree with that. Now, I know it's been a frustrating year for fans because... June was about as frustrating as it gets. You were 10 and 17. Um, I think that's the way you have to look. I, I love what you said. You get a couple of guys that come in here with experience, but they throw strikes, use the defense. I mean, the play by Arenado yesterday on the double play. Holy smokes. Was that good? And it's happening consistently now. Yep, like Arena- I think he was a little off defensively and not bad, just not up to his typical performance level. The first month, maybe two months of the season ever since then. Goodness gracious, you're starting to see the plays regularly that we were all expecting. And Dan, for the Cardinals, this Fernando Tatis Jr. injury situation is absolutely worth monitoring. He hurt his shoulder once again over the weekend, and they said they're going to give this a little bit of time, find out if it heals naturally. But if it doesn't, if it doesn't heal with just the regular physical therapy stuff, he might have to get surgery on it this time around. And if he's out, the Padres are still loaded. They are incredibly talented. But they've also got a ton of games against that division down the stretch. And it it's possible. It's possible that you could potentially be able to make some games up there. Coming up, we're going to visit with Bo Hart, uh, former Cardinal. will be in town tomorrow with the Budweiser Bash. And looking forward to visiting with Bo Hart. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK. The podcast powered by I Promise. will be in St. Louis tomorrow at the ball game. Part of the Budweiser bash made his debut back in 2003 and he broke a major league record 
hit 460 in his first 10 games with the Cardinals. He was awesome. Uh, 33rd round pick out of Gonzaga and a chance to visit with Bo Hart, who is uh, one of the real good guys that has stayed connected to the Cardinals alumni and the Cardinal fan base. Hey, Bo, good morning. Dan McLaughlin with uh, BK, Brandon Kylie. Thanks for hopping on. How you doing? Uh, no problem. I'm, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. You got it. Uh, are you excited coming back to St. Louis? Uh, we're always excited. You know, I got the family in tow. We're at Cape Girardeau at a Starbucks right now. We're having a, having a good road trip and, uh, no, we're very excited, uh, for tomorrow and for Wednesday. What it, uh, what are you up to these days? I'm assuming you're living in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm not sure if that's still where you call home, but, uh, where you call home and what are you up to these days? Yeah, Dan, no living in Memphis. Um, been living there almost 20 years now since my first, uh, first season with the Redbirds. Um, I met Lydia uh, my second season after I got sent down from the Cardinals, and um, we got two boys, seven and three, Cruz and Brock. And you know, I work for a, a Fortune 100 company, Tech Systems. They have a huge office in St. Louis, actually. Um, I got some good friends still there, but uh, but yeah, I'm just uh, raising the boys and and uh, and working and ha- trying to have a good summer. Hey, Bo, when you look back to that June, when you just broke onto the scene, unlike anything that we've probably seen since then in that June month, what was going through your mind as everything is seemingly coming up Bo Hart in the month of June 2003? Um, you know, BK, it's, it, I get to tell this story um, quite often, and, and, it, and it evolves a little bit. I remember a conversation I had with, um, with Jim Hayes. How it, it just looking back, it becomes more clear of what, what I was thinking and what I was feeling. And, and what I was feeling was when I got called up, I was, I I had, I didn't have the big leagues on my radar at all when that season began. And then six weeks later, you know, my first year in AAA, you know, I'm on a plane to St. or to Milwaukee to play for the Cardinals. And it was, (laughs) it was just something that, seemed so far away, even though I was so close. And then when I got here, I'll be honest, what made it easy was having the success early. Um, you know, the first 10 or 20, 30 games, you know, it was, it was, um, I was, I was playing baseball. I was trying to enjoy myself. I wish I would have smiled on the field a little bit more because there aren't very many pictures of me smiling as I think I was just trying to, to go about my business. And with the, the team that I had around me, all the professionals, all the, you know, the major leaguers and, and coaches, you know, I, I tried to do what they were doing and it, and it looked like, you know, business all the time on the field. And that's what I did. And, and the success just kind of made it a little bit easier uh, hitting wise. Do you remember walking into the clubhouse or walking in that first time and visiting with Tony La Russa and what that was like? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I was in Milwaukee, and I, I walked into the to the clubhouse after you know a red eye flight from Seattle, and and my jersey's hanging up, and nobody asked me what number I needed or I wanted, um, but really, really good. So I, I saw it there, and I think I kind of just knew I needed to go find Tony's office. So I, I put my my bags down, and, and I found his office. And, and we sat down and I look across the desk and then he's got the lineup card. And, uh, I said, you know, Hey Skip, you know, uh, I'm here. <laughs> and, and I look across and I think one of the, one of the spots was open on the lineup, like toward the bottom, maybe eight. 
I think maybe seven or eight is the first spot I hit that day. He said, he said, you know, uh, we know you've been traveling all night and no one would think less of you if you, if you didn't feel like you could play. And I said, Oh no, put me in that lineup. I'm ready to go. When you look back specifically at the grand slam that you had against the Mets, Bo, what comes back into your mind as you remember that moment? Uh, you know, I was, I was feeling pretty good. Um, I was that was maybe 35 36 games into into the career I believe and mm-hmm. and I was in a pretty good rhythm and you know you don't think you don't dream about hitting a, I guess you do dream about hitting a grand slam but in that moment you're like okay I'm going up I got the bases loaded I think there was a a walk ahead of me maybe the I don't think that maybe the pitcher struck out and then there's two outs or something like that I can't remember but but you know, hitting at Shea Stadium and it's a day game and, you know, feeling pretty good. I, I remember having lots of confidence going to the plate every time I did, but, you know, I think it was a flat slider and uh, I, I got I got some barrel on it. And I kind of surprised myself, too, by hitting it to center, you know. Um, I, I do remember that moment pretty well. And I think it was more of a like a relief running around the bases. Uh, just, wow, look. I'm at, you know, look what I've done here in this moment and high fives from everybody for sure. Bo Hart is our guest and he'll be part of the uh, Budweiser bash at the ballpark tomorrow. Is it amazing to you, Bo, when, when you talk to other guys that have played major league baseball and some have played longer than you and you came up and, and made this impact, but is it amazing to you of how you've been embraced by the fan base, uh, even in a short amount of time? Now you made your presence felt, but how, Joe Pfeiffer, Larry State, the alumni, uh, the Cardinals. You know, when, I always say this: once you put that uniform on, you're part of the family. You're part of the alumni. Is, is it kind of? Is it, does it resonate with you? I guess is the best way to to put this of, of how you're treated by the Cardinals still after all these years. You know, that's a good question. I, I talk about that with my wife Lydia not often, but when I'm when we're preparing for experiences in St. Louis or at fantasy camp, and Larry and Joe have been so great. Um, they treat not only me, but all the alumni like we're Hall of Famers. Uh, the whole Cardinal organization does that. And, yeah, I am kind of amazed that uh, that I continue to be, I don't want to say relevant because I'm not, you know, up there every month, but I, I feel like there is a little bit of a fan base that, that follows or has questions of what's Bo doing now, I guess. And, and you know, come June and, 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 and the season, it – Maybe there's a T-shirt in the stands or whatever, and but but Joe and Larry do share that what they see in the in the uh, in the stadium of hey you're still you're still remembered, and I think that's what I say, and that's how I feel. It's like it's nice not to be forgotten of that magical summer that I had, but it does kind of stick in in fans and uh, Cardinal fans, and and you know also in a little bit of history. So it's. I welcome it. I, I don't think I've turned Joe or Larry down for any request that they've asked me to do because, you know, I get to, you know, I get to take my boys, you know, Cruz is going to be along with me for the, uh, you know, autographs and everything tomorrow. And you know, Brock's a little young, but you know, it's, he's old enough now to, to be able to appreciate uh, what daddy gets to do. That so is- I, I welcome the yeah, I welcome it, Dan. Yeah, that is so cool that your kids get to experience it and see uh, the impact that you made on this community. And I, I am curious um, about your kind of welcome to the big leagues moment where you kind of maybe you walked in the clubhouse and you go, oh, 
There's Scott Rowland. Oh, yeah. There's Jimmy Edmonds. Uh, there's Albert Pujols. I got to walk over to Tony's office. I mean, or maybe it happened between the white lines. But what was that kind of like welcome to the big leagues moment where you're like, holy smokes, I'm I'm here and I belong. And this is unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. That's a man. Uh, I really felt like for the first week or so, it was between the lines, really, you know, the welcome to the big leagues was high-fiving as I scored runs or um, high-fiving them as they scored runs. I just, I kind of followed everybody's lead. I had never been to a big league spring training. I did not know, you know, these guys at all. They didn't know who I was. So I think it was just as surreal for them as it was for me. It's like, wow, this guy, okay, I'm going to give him the respect. If I was 0 for 20, you know, it would have been a different story. But, you know, being 10 for 20 is, is way different for a first impression, especially with other athletes. So you kind of gain that respect uh, almost immediate. And they already had my respect, but I had to earn it. I didn't feel the pressure to have to earn it. It was just kind of happen- happening organically. And people started to, you know, uh, give me advice. Players started to give me advice of, on pitchers. I think that kind of broke the ice, too, where, you know, it's like, hey, let me tell you about this guy's slider or – he likes to, you know, throw the fastball inside with two strikes or whatever the advice may be. I think that kind of started the relationship with a few guys. And, and you know, Jim and, and Scott were really great, um, just kind of taking me under their wing a little bit when it came to, you know, things off the field with media and, and, and things. And I'll never forget that, too. But I think, I think being on the field and, and earning their respect made it a lot easier to, to just be part of the team with that, with that lineup. Bo, we know about your story in 2004 and what your career looked like here in St. Louis. But I think sometimes I, I'm always curious about what the, the beginning story was, what that was growing up as Bo Hart. They always say that it takes a village, especially to make it to the big leagues. But who are some of the people that along your career, whether it be little league or high school ball or into college, who are some of the people that allowed you to then go on to become a big leaguer? You know, I had some influential coaches. You know, I really did. You know, I think high school, um, high school was 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 a, a good experience for me. I was, I was never the best player on my team until, like maybe in junior college is when I, kind of started to separate myself and, and continue to get better at baseball where guys were, had reached their peak already. And you know, my high school coach, my junior college coach, and then you know at Gonzaga, I only spent two years at Gonzaga. Uh, but but Steve Hertz and, and Mark Maktoff were very influential on on how to be consistent with my effort and how to be consistent with learning and and getting better and how much work it actually took to to get better every year. And you know the minor leagues was was no different. You know I remember Joe Patini was was the minor league field coordinator and I asked him one time coming back from. Um, you know, from the the workouts, from the minor league complex, walking, it's like, hey, Joe, um, you know, am I doing everything that I need to be doing? And, you know, I may have been in A ball or double A. And, and his response was, was, you are. You listen, you apply, you try to do new things, you're not stubborn, uh, you, you, you don't, you know, you don't act like you've got it all figured out, you're actually trying to get better. And I remember that. And he was the first person to say something to me in Milwaukee that first game. He's like, He's like, so great, so so great to have you. We tried to get you a month ago. Wow! <laughs> and that's just like a boost of confidence. Um, 
you know, especially from, you know, somebody who's a bench coach and somebody who potentially could have been a, a sponsor of mine to keep me there as long as I was, um, to, to hear that, that, hey, I'm doing everything right in the minor leagues and, and just keep getting better. I mean, that's what it takes is to, to keep getting better and not peak too soon. What was the uh, media crush on you when you first got there? I, I remember being with the club and obviously doing the games and everywhere we went, people were asking you to do interviews. How did you, uh, you know, be able to, to separate that? And what was the crush like on you media wise? Because you were very popular in terms of, you know, when you first got to uh, St. Louis. Yeah, there's no training for that, uh, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> No training. It's whatsoever. changed now. It's, you know what's funny is that it's it's changed now in uh, in spring training when we have normal spring trainings because of things of that happened with you and others. Uh, they go through media training, which is probably a good thing. Yeah, no, it's, I'm glad that's happened now. Uh, I, I just I, I, I tried to um, be available. Uh, I tried to. I almost said yes to everything, kind of like I do with Joe and Larry now, but. I want to, um, I don't want to let people down, I guess, but, but yeah, I remember the first time, I think maybe the first or second game in St. Louis, uh, I came into the clubhouse, uh, that I guess the old bush, but I came into, uh, to get something to drink and, and, you know, Tony said, Hey, Bo, somebody wants to talk to you. And I come around the corner and there's five cameras and there's, you know, 10 reporters and, all the lights flip on, you know, they're right outside my locker. I just kind of threw myself into it. I wasn't nervous. I wasn't intimidated. I I tried to answer questions and be honest and be charming and, and, and try to be likable. And I think, I think that resonated well with fans. I wasn't, um, I I didn't try to be cocky. I think it, uh, sometimes that just happens, but uh, I just tried to, I tried to be everything to everybody. And, and I think that came off in a positive way. You mentioned uh, Joe Pettini. I'm curious if you had any um, work done with George Kissel. And and George was just so amazing with all these different players. And it, it still resonates today. And the tentacles of, of how he dealt with players is still felt today with guys that pass on his teachings. So for you, were you around George at all? And, and if so, what was that like? Yeah, you know, I was drafted, uh, again, 33rd round. Um, the guy I played my first uh, long season A, uh, or I guess full season A, was Tommy Kidwell, and he was the grandson of, yes. Tom, of uh, George Kissel. Right, and he was drafted in the thirty third round, the same round the year before or two years before, and we were on the same team in A ball, and so I got to learn a little bit from Tommy, and Tommy was a great, great guy, and um, you know George, he was obviously every spring training. Uh, he's driving the golf cart around. He's got a fungo and willing to do anything if you ask him to. Um, the, I think the one thing that stands out in my head was when when Tony asked me to try hitting left-handed. I don't know if you guys remember I that. I remember that. I was yes. Twenty nine. I was try. I was twenty nine years old. He came to me during the winter warm up the year before, and he said, "Hey, I want you to try hitting lefty for the rest of the off season, and then come to spring training, and we'll see what happens." And so. Hal McRae was the hitting coach at that time, and George and Hal got together and said, "This is what we're gonna we're gonna try to push Bo after all the workouts and throw extra batting practice and whatnot." And George, I think he taught Willie McGee and Ozzie Smith and Vince Coleman. All those guys had a hit switch hit. I found that after the fact, found that out. But it was it, the one one piece of advice that he gave me because he was the one tossing balls to me and putting them on the tee when I was learning how to do that. It was like, you have to survive. So this is what we're going to do. 
We're going to learn to survive first, and then we'll then we'll fine tune. And so as spring training went on, um, I never got an at bat, a left-handed at bat in spring training. I think maybe in a you know in a sim game that was the only time I had some action. And and then Tony kind of two weeks before spring training left was like, "Hey, that's enough. We're we're good." <laughs> I don't think it wasn't because I was developing. I think it was because I wasn't going to have a spot. It wasn't because I couldn't hit lefty. The first time I ever, or the only time I ever hit lefty in a in a game was junior college. And um, I got to toot my own horn here for a second. Um, I, I begged the coach to let me do it. And his name was Rich Whitinger. He was an assistant at Stanford for a very long time and then became the head coach of my junior college. And he's like, all right, I'll let you do it. And it's like, if I get a hit, you got to let me do it more. And he said, okay. So uh, it was like our la- one of our last kind of preseason, you know, inter-squad games or whatever. And I hit a triple off the wall at our home field. I remember it down the right field line. And I said, how about that? Let me try. And I think I was, you know, 19 at the time. And uh, he said, okay, we'll do it. We'll do it in the, you know, over the, the winter break and we'll see what happens. So what happened was I went snowboarding. I broke my leg snowboarding and I couldn't spend time doing lefty and righty. I had to get back for the season. Um, uh, so all I did was practice right-handed, but, uh, but you know, I had a lot of influential coaches, and and, uh, and and George was one of those guys that sticks out in my head because, you know, he tried to help me hit left-handed, and, and I'll remember that. If Brock, my son, my three-year-old is left-handed, so I got some things to teach him when he's ready. That's awesome. Hey, Bo, it's great hearing your voice. You're awesome with the fans. I know fans are really looking forward to seeing you at the ballpark tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it as well, and uh, be safe coming here to St. Louis, and great to catch up. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, BK. I'm looking forward to it. I have a great time in St. Louis, and you know, thanks for the fans for responding when when I do uh, come up here for you know for small events like this. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna soak it up, my family and myself. Absolutely, that's awesome. That's uh, Bo Hart. Thank you, Bo. And again, uh, Budweiser Bash tickets are, I believe, still available for tomorrow. Uh, for Bo Hart, and they do, I think at a special price point, you get the bobblehead, and he'll sign autographs, and maybe does a little Q&A too, but it's it's great to have him uh, coming back to St. Louis, and that's, as I've always said, Larry State and uh, Joe Pfeiffer, that's what makes uh, the Cardinals a special place, when you got guys that even had a small role on very good teams, but popular players, they keep them in the fold, and uh, and I think fans appreciate that. Yeah, you can go to cardinals.com slash promotions. That's where you can go. You can get your theme tickets there for the Budweiser Bash Bohart bobblehead tickets. Uh, it was awesome to catch up with him, and like you said, Dan, it, he had... An unforgettable, really, month, but that season, that 2003 season for him was something that if you're a Cardinals fan that watched it, you're never going to forget what you watched from Bohart. Coming up, we're going to talk a little bit more about the trade deadline, probably preview a little bit more of the uh, Cardinals and Braves tomorrow. It's an off day for the Cardinals. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Tied with Albert Pujols, the Cardinals' all-time hits list. The first pitch to Yadier Molina. There it is, a base hit into right center. He is now in fourth place all alone on the Cardinals' all-time hits list. Hit number 2,074. He passes Albert Pujols, and he is fourth all-time in hits in Cardinals history. Pretty significant milestone over the weekend. So you have Stan the Man, Lou Brock, Rogers Hornsby, and now Yadier Molina. Uh, Yadi is not that far away from Hornsby. 
Hornsby is at 2,110. And uh, Yachty now with two more hits yesterday is at 2,075. So he's got a chance. I mean, he can go on a tear in the final two months and maybe surpass Rogers Hornsby. Some more in-depth stats on Yachty through the years. He's fourth in doubles in Cardinals history. May surprise you, he is 10th in home runs. He is seventh in multi-hit games. And he has the most postseason hits in Cardinals history. Also, over the weekend, he had start number 2,000 behind the plate. Not game, but start number 2,000. He is the only one to have 2,000 starts behind a plate uh, with one team. He's the only one in baseball history to do that. Uh, The all-time leader in starts is Yvonne Rodriguez. Pudge had 2,346, then Carlton Fisk, Bob Boone, Yadier Molina, but Yadi the only one to do it with one team. His debut, by the way, BK, was June 3rd of 2004. And in that time, when Molina has started since then, the winning percentage is 562. When he doesn't start, it's 529. He has started over 75% of the games behind home plate since uh, 2004, which is just remarkable over the years for Yadi to do that. Deal with the injuries, deal with how weak probably his hands feel at times, how tired he is, but yet he uh, has been there through it uh, through it all and now fourth all-time in hits in Cardinals history. Pretty amazing. It is. It really is incredible. And if you look at it, I mean, it, just simply games played from him. Yeah. He's third right now all-time for the Cardinals. It, it looks pretty unlikely that he'll be able to pass Lou for second, but it's Stan Musial, Lou Brock, Yadier Molina in terms of games played for this franchise. It's amazing. So yesterday, by the way, did a little deep dive on this. I do find it interesting. He has played now in 1,161 games since Pujols left. He has collected in that time frame over 1,200 hits. He is hitting 285. That's his That's average. Amazing. 285 since Albert left, uh, which is pretty amazing. And he leads all catchers in hits. In that time frame, you would maybe think Buster Posey or some others. Nope, it's Yadier Molina. So credit to him. He turned himself into a hell of an offensive player at times in his career, an elite player. And uh, I think by, you know, when it's all said and done, certainly at least fourth on the all-time hits list could be third before it's all said and done, which if he does come back next year, he would get that mark. But we'll see if he does. Yeah, I, I think you can make a pretty strong case at this point. Not a strong case. I think it's pretty definitive at this point. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. And I think there were people five years ago, maybe, that had their questions about it. I think even those people have kind of been put to the wayside. By the way, Dan, your your comp of Yachty and Albert kind of made me curious how they look offensively over that span. It's very close in terms of the offensive numbers that Yadier Molina has put up to against Albert Pools. Pools is a 759 OPS since leaving St. Louis in that same amount of time. Yadier Molina 755 OPS. That's incredible. That's wild. If you would have told me when Albert Pools left St. Louis, hey, over the next nine years, Yadier's basically going to have the same offensive production as Albert Pools. I would have been like, how? What happened to both of them? How did Yachty succeed at that level? And what happened to Albert? It's amazing. Caught stealing percentage is about 40%. That's where he's at this year. He's at his career career average. 40% is a remarkable number. But put it in even further perspective, since he became essentially the full-time catcher in 05 because he split time with Matheny in 04, I think it's either four or 500 fewer stolen base attempts against the Cardinals. 
Now think about that. Yeah, that tells you everything you need to know about just the respect. Teams, yeah, teams just don't run. I mean, they just do not run against the Cardinals when he's been behind the plate. So pretty amazing, and it's been a great career for Yadier Molina. We'll see if it continues in St. Louis next year. Two more months to go, beginning with the Atlanta Braves uh, tomorrow night at the ballpark, and we'll see the Cardinal debut of John Lester I'll tell you what, it had to be a tough weekend to be a Cubs fan because notable trades obviously involved many of the Cubs. Chris Bryant goes to the Giants. Homers yesterday in his debut with San Francisco. Javi Baez went to the Mets. Homered on Saturday night with Trevor Williams, by the way, for some pitching help. But he homers in his debut with the Mets. And then Anthony Rizzo was like on base eight out of nine times or something with two home runs over the weekend against Miami, wearing a Yankees uniform. And then you got John Lester starting tomorrow, who was kind of the final piece for them in that six-year deal for them to get over the hump in 2016. Not an easy weekend to be a Cubs fan. Not at all. And it's frustrating as well because it's the Cubs. Like, you can afford to bring these guys back if you want to. They can. And they decided not to. And I get it from in some respect because this is the way that baseball is nowadays. You get the winning days and then you come with the losing days and they're in that cycle now dan if you're a cardinals fan today you're looking at the cubs and say okay they're gonna be bad the next three years like that's how this goes they're about to go into the downward trajectory the pirates they're not going to be good for the next couple of years the reds are a very interesting team to me because of where they're at in their life cycle as an organization they're pretty good this year and improve their bullpen here which they had to do but what happens over the next couple of years? I just don't know because Castellanos has the out in his contract. Is he going to be back? What's Votto look like moving forward? I'm fascinated by them, but I think this division is going to be just like it is this year, really. The Brewers and the Cardinals over the next two to three years at a minimum. Former St. Louis Ram Isaac Bruce finally set for induction as a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame with the enshrinement of the class set to take place this Saturday. Carriker and Smallman headed to Canton to... Broadcast live on Friday morning, a special expanded show from 7 to 11. Tune in Friday morning. You'll hear Randy Michelle speak to the man himself, Isaac Bruce, along with a lot of uh, special guests that were uh, had ties to the St. Louis Rams and certainly that uh, time period in which Isaac played in. Carriker and Smallman uh, live from Canton this Friday morning brought to you by Schnooks and Twin Peaks. You have three more hours coming up here on 101 ESPN. What do you got? Yeah, a lot of kind of what we talked about, Dan. The Cardinals at the deadline. I, I've been surprised uh, honestly by some of the assessment of what they did at the deadline I don't think it's a bad thing I do think they got better on Friday and I'm not just holding water for the Cardinals I hope people know that by now uh, so we're going to talk about that a little bit coming up we also have Katie Wu Cardinals insider at 1130 and Alex Ferrario has a new Ferrario 5 for us today what's changed in the central around the Blues You've been listening to the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.